GothicMedia.com presents Consumption with hosts P.G. Holyfield, Chooch, Viv, and Christiana Ellis. And my cohorts never stop yapping while the music is going on, so welcome everybody to another episode of SpecFicMedia.com presents Consumption. That is October 2nd. 2013, uh, Chooch and Viv are both under the weather. They cannot join us uh, tonight, but we do have a special guest, Mr. Patrick McLean. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. It's nice to be here. Awesome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I, I, awesome. I, I, I can't be both Chooch and Viv, but I'll try. You can... Do your best, and uh, you have to you have to move from one side of the screen to the other. Pretend you are. Well, see, there's Viv. See, there's see Chooch. Seeing as Google doesn't want to uh, give me the main screen for this, uh, I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, uh, it, for it, since since oh, oh go ahead. I, I was just gonna say sometimes it it's really confusing how it decides what to put on the main screen, but sometimes it turns out it's just because you have inadvertently selected it to only show one screen and so it's not switching. Yeah, I'm in control of what the people see, so you'll be he on the screen as the little, as, little the as possible. From the deepest inner mind. All right, I'll be the voice of your uh, shattered conscience there, PG. <laughs> That's usually how it is with you and me, but um, <laughs> for since Patrick is has probably never uh, watched or listened. This is a podcast where we talk about the media we are consuming, and also we try to have a guest who is also creating so we can talk to them about what they are working on or uh, have recently completed. And uh, it's not any different with Mr. McLean, who I've been wanting to talk to uh, about his uh, experiences, or I don't know if it's continued experiences, working on a computer role-playing game, uh, Wasteland 2. Um, oh, yes. About that. And also uh, a, a great writer, Mr. McLean, has a new, a new story novel. Is it a novelette, a full novel? That it's a just full completed? novel. It's a awesome. full novel. And if uh, well, I don't have the screen, but uh, uh, it's it's a full novel, but it's less than a hundred thousand words, which uh, I've really started reading um, uh, a lot of novelists who hi how are you doing um, a lot of novelists who like worked in the '60s and '70s, and you turned out all these great books like uh, Richard Stark uh, is one of them. He's like Stephen King's favorite. Uh, now, uh, novelist Elmore Leonard, all these things that are they're like they're tighter. They work with my prose style. They're 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 more terse and more vigorous. So um, yeah, it's about it's about sixty sixty two thousand words. I'm doing the final edit on it right now, and uh, yeah, it's enough, and it's it's good. And this is a new universe you're writing in, not uh, not the same universe for uh, your previous uh, novels, right? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, totally new. It's a uh, it's a fantasy setting. This one is, um, as opposed to I guess what would would be a speculative fiction setting for How to Succeed in Evil. Um, so uh, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, playing with the tropes of that genre in the same way that, or in a similar way that Evil played with the tropes of uh, you know the superhero genre, I suppose. Cool. 
Very good. Uh, well, we'll talk a little bit more about that in uh, in a bit. But uh, what, since we haven't talked to you in a long time, what what have you been watching or reading or playing lately that uh, has tickled your funny bone or, or captured your attention lately? Sure, sure. That, that's a pinched your question. drama bone. Pinch my drama. <laughs> it's it squeezed my drama bone. So, uh, what am I playing? What am I? Uh, what am I watching? Reading? What are you watching? Watching any new shows? Any of the? Watch well, the end of, of Breaking course, Bad. Of course, I had, I had to watch the end of Breaking Bad. And Woo! Um, I, I got to tell you, just not to spoil any, not to spoil anything. Like, yeah, you know, we, if you look at the end. Right. Of, we try not to spoil. We do have a spoiler section at the end of the show after the credits in case anybody wants to That's hang around. No, there's, no reason to, there's no reason to spoil it. But, um, uh, you know, you got shows like Battlestar Galactica where they have this big following, this big thing, you know, built up and they've done all this great work. And then the ending goes haywire and goes wild at the end. They try and, you know, do some triple Lindy dismount and don't stick the landing. Um, <laughs> I, I got to tell you, the ending of Breaking Bad, I think, was perfect. I mean, in my mind, it's it's a it's a Shakespearean tragedy and you have to wrap everything up at the end. And it was it was uh, it was just. It was just nice, like there was nothing that anyone could object to. And it, it, it you set up sort of a. a an aesthetic expectation when you tell a story and it paid off everything. And it was just, it was just a great farewell. Um, uh, I, I just think it was magnificent. Um, and I like to complain about things when people fuck something <laughs> up, but it was just great. It really was. I, I had no complaints about that. So uh, what am I reading? Um, I, I just recently read um, every single Parker novel by Richard Stark. Ooh. And there are, Isn't there a lot of those? How uh, many are there? I don't know, like 30-ish. That's a lot. Wow. Um, yeah, and they're magnificent. Um, so I really, really kind of focused on trying to figure out, uh, because I have, as, as, as you know, I have lots of ideas, um, more ideas than I have uh, time, time to get them done. So I'm really, really trying to figure out how to be faster with writing novels and uh, paying attention to the structure of how, how, you know, longer stories go together and how real production novelists work. So like guys like uh, Lawrence Block, uh, Richard Stark, Donald Westlake is his other pen name. So I read all these, these novels and they're all, they're all caper novels, which is really interesting because I think that How to Succeed in Evil is kind of a caper novel in a weird way. It's you put Edwin in the situation, he winds up with all the money at the end and a lot of it's implied. But as a novelist, this guy is so terse. He's so great. These stories are so, like, tight, and the way they go together are so well. There's a series of – there are three of them right now but uh, uh, that Darwin Cook has done as graphic novels, um, which is what – I knew the stories a little bit before, but it's what encouraged me to go read the novels. So uh, uh, there's, there's – um, the, the movie Payback, the movie uh, Point, Point Blank, they're, uh, they're the same. They were from the same story. Darwin Cook has, is going to illustrate four of them. He's done three of them. They're, they're just magnificent. Um, I've learned a lot from reading them. Uh, in terms of games, uh, I've been playing um, a lot of roguelikes, actually, um, going back to Teleglitch is a ridiculously good game. It's terribly hard. Hotline Miami is great. 
Well, uh, so I was just going to ask, yeah. are, are you playing like legit original roguelikes or are you, are you playing what is sort of now been started to call roguelikes? Um, I, uh, I, I still play um, uh, NetHack. And I come back to NetHack intermittently. <laughs> that was like the first one. And that game's tremendous. No, don't, don't laugh. I mean, like, the dev team thinks of everything. Uh, so, um, so it, what, and some of the stuff that I like about them is that they're very difficult games. Mm-hmm. Like, say what you want to about GTA V. And I, I think that, uh, how somebody in the New York Times wrote that, uh, Grand Theft Auto Four was one of the best summer movies the summer it came out. And I really think that the writing, the, the writing was tremendous in it. And Grand Theft Auto V is no exception, and it's wonderful. But uh, it, it, if you mess up a stage of a mission three times, it will move you to the next stage. Which well, is it'll nice. ask if you want to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, which is sort of different than, um, uh, you know, when, when we all started playing games. Mm-hmm. As it turns out, by some bizarre coincidence of fate, uh, one of the, uh, the guy who's the uh, editor-in-chief of IGN um, is a guy I went to high school with. And I was, oh, out, yeah? in San, I was out in San Francisco. Yeah, he was one of my, one of my best friends. Um, and, 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 like, we picked up like we hadn't left off. So I got a chance to meet him for coffee. We talked about uh, – mostly we just caught up, but we talked about games a little bit. And we both had this riff about how games used to be really hard. Like, there was no tutorial section of the game where, okay – this is the portion of the game. It's very easy. We're going to teach you how to play. It was just, this is the game. It's hard. There's no strategy guide. And if you suck, it's because you suck. Like, not, <laughs> well, no one it's, also, it easy. it's also because if you could play them straight through from start to finish in one sitting, it would last two hours, and then you spent 50 bucks for two hours. You have to make it really hard, so it lasts, right? Yeah, I suppose so. But I mean, even even like the first games, like um, like Zork or Crystal Caverns or like NetHack. I mean, like uh, these th- these things that or like Dwarf Fortress. Like it's free. Mm-hmm. No one's trying to add complexity to that game, uh, you know, to, to make you you play it more. Um, and then uh, anyway, so and then I also uh, like Hotline Miami. Is is uh, it, it's. I don't know if you guys have played this game, but it's actually oh, yeah. it's actually more intense, I think, than than any of the Grand Theft Autos. Like, there's something really magic about that game. Yeah. I've, uh, Are you talking I've about Steve it. Butts? Yeah, 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 Steve Butts. Yeah, I've Terrible heard, his, heard <laughs> Yeah, I've heard him on several. I listened to several. Terrible or awesome? Terribly <laughs> awesome. Um, the let, let, let me let me tell you something. Listen, uh, I, don't, I don't know what the impression, like Steve is just, he's the nicest guy and he's always been the nicest guy. He has like a, he's a really smart. He has a deep humanity. His, uh, his, uh, I've played harmonica since I was about 14. And the reason that I learned anything about the blues and like, I, I like got started on that was his father was the, 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 the head of the uh, Greensboro blues or Pete, or, yeah, Piedmont Triad Blues Preservation Society. And he made me this mixtape, and uh, I know you know I listened to it, I wore it out, whatever. Recently, I went back and tried to repopulate that tape, and I don't know how he selected this, especially in a time when there was only vinyl. But it was like the absolutely creme de la creme, 
all the music. Like, it's amazing. Anyway, Steve's a good guy. Um, Hotline Miami um, is available both on PC and it's actually, you can get it on the PlayStation Vita now. Oh, and yeah. uh, since I've tried, I've played it on both, but with PlayStation Vita, you, you can control with the dual analog sticks rather than the mouse and keyboard setup. Yes. And, and it's transformative for me. Um, I liked it on PC, but it, I really got into it with the, the, the PlayStation Vita controls. Yeah, it's it's like yeah, I can see how that would be easier. I even thought about getting uh, getting some kind of stick controller for that game for uh, you know playing it on my uh, my very tired old Mac here. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, I, I, I got about halfway through it and uh, I'll, I'll finish it up. But man, it's it's like intense. Like if, oh yeah, just being a like top down bitmappy scroller like it messes with you. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone who's not aware of Hotline Miami, it's it feels almost like it ought to have been um, an, an old NES game, just in terms of kind of the uh, you know the Stunning. resolution of the sprites and so on. But uh, it's just this super smooth, moving, very fast-paced crime mob enforcement sort of game where yeah, like it, it's like it's scary and dangerous and if mm -hmm. Miami Vice was that they they you know like it, they just wouldn't have let you show it on TV it's it's intense yeah it's, it's well, intense that it's top down but it's more intense than most first person shooters don't mm -hmm. know how they did it well part of it is just that um both the bad guys and you will die in one hit and and so it's and and everything moves really quickly. So you really do have to, it's this it's this awesome blend of carefully planned out strategy with fast twitch reflexes. Yeah, it was like uh, I don't know if you ever played uh, on uh, the original Xbox. I guess it was uh, Rainbow Six. Um, it's not Rainbow Six. It was that. I think it was Rainbow Six. So the Tom Clancy game was a first-person shooter on Xbox. It was like the first one where yeah, really, I think Rainbow if you got six was the first one of those. If, oh, you, yeah, got, yeah. if you got shot at all, you died, and it was yeah, really tough. But the strategy. Well, was the bad. ones where you could uh, sort of build your plan ahead of time, and then no, it it wasn't the build. It wasn't no, it wasn't Rainbow Six. It was the was the other. One. It wasn't the counterterrorism one. No, no, it was, it was before that. It was, um, it was basically you start off with two teams, like like a standard first-person shooter, and you be these various maps. But it was intense because like one hit and you were dead. Hmm. Someone, someone's googling it right now. I can hear the typer. <laughs> well, I am. Yes, at uh, least. So, so what do you wanna, guys did did want to mention since you did mention it? Tom Clancy passed away today. So, oh uh, yes, mm -hmm. uh, yes. Bring that up, but uh, uh, I, I respect what he did, even if I never especially enjoyed really any of the stuff that I tried. Um, at uh, least some of the movies were good, but uh, uh, both of the books that I tried were I they were exciting for the first thirty pages, and then spent eighty pages on Russian history, which I was not as excited <laughs> by. Yeah, I, I I read a lot of his books up until uh, maybe I was 25 or so like I, I just ate them up and I was a big fan of Hunt for Red October anyway the movie but read most of his uh, early books 
I yeah, Jack Ryan books and stuff. So. Ghost Recon was that the one? Ghost Recon, yeah. Okay, yeah, those were the the big three series for for him. It was Rainbow mm -hmm. Six, Ghost Recon, and Splinter Cell. Yeah, Ghost Recon. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's there's no denying that um, you know uh, Tom Clancy did some stuff like as an author and as a creator. It's just just mm -hmm. tremendous. Oh yeah, um, I've I've read a, like a handful of his books and. And what I try and do now, no matter what I, what I encounter, is I try and figure out what's good about it. Because mm -hmm. that's much harder than, than picking at something and saying, this is what sucked. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, like, like, for example, if you wanted to, uh, and, uh, spoiler alert, uh, it, not a terrible spoiler alert, I guess it's a season, season four, season three spoiler alert for uh, uh, Breaking Bad. <laughs> but uh, when, uh, when, when Walt kills, uh, what's his name? Tough guy, the uh, Gus. Uh, Gus, yeah. When he kills Gus, like, like it, it's inconceivable that that Gus, to me, that character gets caught in that situation without a pistol under his leg or on the seat beside him. Like he's not, like he's not ready to fire back. Meeting, meeting Walt in that situation. However, for the purposes of the story, Gus has to die. Like, this is a compromise you make. Like, I understand totally why it happened. Like, there's just, it, it's really easy to pick at things. But on the overall arc, that's what had to happen. Well, a lot of Breaking Bad is much more operatic than, um, than realistic. And Absolutely. Um, that's Shakespearean is, is the word I use, but I totally agree. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but, uh, you know, and, and Clancy, like, he 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 did such research. He was so di you know so diligent that when he put out his first books, people from the Department of Defense said, "How did you find this out?" Like they they debriefed him. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and uh, I think it was uh, Tom Wolfe uh, who who said that that uh, most novelists think themselves think themselves uh, somehow absolved of doing research, and it's really not the case. Like so yeah. And there's a lot of Clancy stuff I really enjoyed. So sorry to see him go. 66. He was young. Yep. Uh, let's see. We have um, J.R. Murdoch asking a few questions. Um, uh, we were delayed a little bit. No, it was just because Patrick was late. Uh, so there were no technical difficulties tonight. <laughs> um, he's asking me if my Tintin books are out of order. Um, I don't know if I've got mirroring turned on or something, so it's back. No, yeah, no, it says T N I T N I. So oh, I see. It. Yeah, I do or, have or uh, T N I T I N. You guys talk. Uh, <laughs> I didn't notice until I go. saw him ask the question, but then I couldn't <laughs> unsee it. And I'll, I'll ask the third. I'll ask the third question in a minute when we start talking about uh, uh, wastelands. But to answer your question, uh, I was playing a lot of uh, Splinter Cell Blacklist, which uh, really, really have enjoyed. Uh, took a break from that though to to get into GTA V. I haven't played nearly as much as Miss Christiana, but uh, haven't mm. have enjoyed much of what I've I've seen. I there, there's one more game I have to mention because I think it's tremendous. It's it's still an alpha. I funded it on Kickstarter. It's called uh, Sir, You Are Being Hunted. Ooh, I heard about that one. Uh, yeah, I haven't and seen that, but I've, I've heard I, about it. Yeah. I gotta tell you, um, I think uh, in the alpha, um, there, there are some things that 
that aren't it's it's procedurally gen generated terrain in various sort of miserable damp uh english countryside and it's really really cool um i think that uh as it as it proceeds through it's it's totally worth getting and playing uh, as it proceeds through it's only going to get better as they add uh more more elements and more achievements and stuff like that uh but the 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 way they generate this countryside and the way they have these things procedurally hunt you and you have to outsmart them. It's a very good game. It's very difficult uh, in places too. It doesn't, uh, I like games that don't hold your hand, games that reward skill. Mm -hmm. Very good. Um, have um, you, have you tried Spelunky or um, like Rogue Legacy or FTL? I, any of those? I, uh, FTL. Yeah. FTL is great. Um, FTL is hard. FTL is stupid art. Yeah. I haven't played Rogue Legacy, and in fact, I'm, I'm writing this down right now. Uh, I've played Splunky a little bit, like in uh, the Java version in a browser, but mm -hmm. I, haven't lo I haven't loaded it up on the Xbox. Honestly, I have a love-hate relationship with games because I have a lot of shit to get done. I have a couple of people yeah, no, in my family, so I try, like, I love it like that and like Fez. Like, mm -hmm. I look at Fez and I'm like, oh, that game it looks tremendous. I am not gonna buy that <laughs> right now. Yeah, like, yeah, you'll I, get sucked yeah. into that for for hours um, and hours. So I would say if you wanted to ask me if I have that problem, um, remember that I said that I've already beat the story mode of GTA Five, and <laughs> yeah. so that pretty much tells you the the answer. Yes, I have that problem too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I really, for output, I try and mitigate that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Rogue Legacy is uh, very good. It, it's PC right now, but I think they're they're working on a Mac version, if I remember correctly. Um, well, I think building so Hackintosh is uh, in my future, so. There you go. So let's talk a little bit about Wasteland, um, or Wasteland 2, rather. So how'd you get involved with that? It was a, a Kickstarter, but uh, how did you get pulled in as uh, I, writing talent? I, I kicked my way in. Um, That's always honestly, the way you gotta do it. Uh, I, uh, I I funded the Kickstarter. I you know saw that Stackpole, who was one of the original guys in the game, uh, was working on it, and I said I, I sent him an email. I, I think I might have even called him. I said, look, Mike, uh, uh, I love this idea. I love that game, and I really I played it. That was that played it all the way through to the end. And that was back when games were really hard, so you really, really hard. had to work. <laughs> You really had to work to beat that game. And I said, look, I don't have any more money to donate to this uh, Kickstarter, but I do have some time. I'll throw it in for free if you need some, like, ideas, if you need some setups, some scenarios, some dialogue, whatever. I'll give you, you know, I'll, I'll throw in some um, some time. So he came back and he said, and I, I forgot what it was, but he said there's, there's a little bit of money to do some scenarios and come up with some cults. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. And I came up with a bunch of those. And they liked everything I came up with. And then they hired me to write stuff. Uh, so I wrote and wound up actually designing, um, as far as they were designed at that point, uh, I don't know, three, four levels of the game. So uh, uh, they, I came up with uh, a number of, like, so you run into these various people who have sort of banded together at the end of the world. It takes place uh, 150 years after the first wasteland, so we're we're way past the initial like nuclear winter kind of phase of things. 
so I so I came up with the. Let me set it up. Uh, so the the Rangers are in Arizona. I don't know. Did, did both of you guys play this game? I haven't. I played. So, I played the first one. So so the setup of the first one, and it's really interesting because this is about as much pre-ramble as you got for the story. They're like, "Hey, you're a desert ranger. Here's a pistol. Go have fun." And you're sort of pushed out, and you're you're in Arizona. And then you go around Arizona and a little bit of Nevada, and you go through the story. But really, there's no there's no sort of this is your mission. This is what you need to do. You really just left your own devices, which is was tremendous. Um, and not a lot of stuff was explained, which is both good and bad. But the good of it was that you you really felt like all the stuff you ran into you were discovering for the first time. And the second thing that was great about the first wasteland too is that. Uh, they, they programmed so much reactivity into it, far more reactivity than something like Skyrim has right now, you know, or, or, you know, modern RPGs, that there were so many different ways to solve a problem that it was the first game I ever played where I felt a sense of total freedom. So, for example, I had spent the first, you know, eight hours of the game, like, busting my ass because I sucked at it because it wouldn't have taken eight hours, but but eight hours of the game busting my ass to get like automatic weapons and explosives. And finally I get to this town and I go, go and I knock on this door and the guy who answers the door says, what's the password? And I get the password wrong. And I think to myself, you know, I got machine guns and explosives. Screw this guy. I'm going to blow the door in. And Wasteland was the first game in which I ever played where you could. You could just blow the door flat in and kill everybody, which I proceeded to do. <laughs> but every single puzzle in that game had multiple ways to solve it and multiple ways around. And that's really the thing that they wanted to stay true to, um, which uh, Brian Fargo, um, not to go too much, uh, there was the, he was the uh, founder of Interplay and Wasteland and you know, I guess he made, he's like, they made everything. They made Wasteland, they made Battle Chest, they made Descent, uh, you know, Descent 2. Um, if, if I, uh, if there was one game that I had to play uh, for my soul against the devil, it would be Descent 2. I was, I was ridiculously good Descent 2 player. That's, that's where I peaked with my multiplayer stuff. But um, uh, anyway, so. Yeah, only 20 years ago. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You want, you want to play for money? <laughs> uh, no, no, not Descent Two. No. Oh man, not any of them. I was so I was sick at that game. Um, so uh, anyway, but he came back after after coming out of uh, you know he he and a couple other people left Interplay and formed in Exile, primarily because th their work was uh, just running a company rather than actually making games. So I have a lot of respect for him uh, um, and. Uh, Hang on, I'll think of his name for a second. Um, this is tremendous guy. He's his partner. It's like uh, hilarious, <laughs> hilarious and a genius. I'm sorry, it's late, but um, they 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 decided to make uh, you know they decided they wanted to make games again. He looked at role playing games. He's like, holy holy shit! How are there less choices you make in a choice based game? So he made Bard's Tale, uh, uh, and then uh, tried for years to get funding funding to make Wasteland Two. And couldn't do it. Did a Kickstarter. They got three million dollars or, or something like that. Um, and then all of the effort, sincerely, was was into building that deep reactivity into the game. 
and a lot of really fun, interesting stuff. So uh, I, I just like, I, I, <laughs> I, I totally kicked my way into a really great situation. That's awesome. Um, I think that probably answers uh, J.R. Murdoch's other question, which was, did you play the first game before you yes. started working on Wasteland 2? <laughs> yeah. And what was so funny is everybody who's involved with Wasteland 2, uh, everybody played the game, but it had been so long ago, we had to go back and be like, now what happened and why? Um, but uh, 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 Nathan Long, Colin McComb, uh, they wrote um, – they wrote a lot of stuff, and Nathan Long has gone back through and uh, and really rewritten and, and polished stuff. And these guys are like tremendous, and and uh, they're, they're, I think they're both working on Torment. Uh, Murr Lafferty is working on Torment as well, which is another. Uh, they brought um, they got Chris Avalon um, also in to uh, do that. He did the first uh, like Planescape Torment, and it's it's the like this style of game is. It's a bit geeky, which no one off who watches watches this podcast. But really, um, I, it's it, it's tremendous. I'm so lucky to be a part of it, and uh, we uh, we generated so much content, uh, more than we, we cut off about a third of the game um, because we generated more content than there was budget to have people actually make it. But I mean, it's just, it's it's great. Everything I've seen up to this point, everything that I've had input in, really, I'm really excited about playing it too. And I've what's touched the, almost every level of the game, and I'm still excited about. It. What's the cool. timeline for that, as far as alpha uh, beta? The beta is out in October. Um, they pushed it back just a smidge because they were a little ambitious. But anybody who funded the Kickstarter, I believe, is going to be on the beta, and then the um, you know the final release will be uh, after that. I don't. I don't it's funny because um, as, as writers, um, the the gaming stuff, uh, a game really belongs to the people who coded the scripters, who, who coded and scripted, because they have to, and I, I didn't realize how much this was true uh, until they explained it to me and I saw it, a game is all in the feel. We can have the greatest idea for a scene, but if it doesn't play out with the right timing and the right way, so... The, the, the goal of somebody who writes a game is to, I really believe, is to give, unless you're doing scripting as well, is to design a level that, you know, meets the basic, okay, what do you want this level to do? How do you want to do, like, an early level in the game? I wrote, um, I wrote an early level in the game. There's this, uh, there's this terrible choice. Actually, Fargo's great about terrible choices. There's a terrible choice in the game. Um, this doesn't spoil anything, but... When you go out into the wasteland for the first time, you get this distress call, and you get basically simultaneous distress calls from these two towns, and uh, you can't save them both. Actually, you can save them both, but it's almost impossible. Um, <laughs> so you got these two different. So both of them are kind of they're kind of tutorial levels, and they kind of set up the stuff for the rest of the game. Well, I tried to write it, but. You know, and everybody tried to write that stuff, but this, the basic systems for the game were still in flux. And how do you balance all this stuff? And how do you know exactly where to signpost this? So don't don't take any like the, the final credit goes to the people who really play test and put it together and stuff. Like I had great ideas, but I was I was so impressed with their their ability to put out good games. I can't say enough good stuff about it. And I'll stop now. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, J.R. Murdoch asked a question: uh, Is there opportunities, or is there going to be fiction novels, etc., tied into this, or do you know of any plans? What about that? Easter eggs? Um, there are. Uh, I had some ideas for Easter eggs. I don't know how many of them got implemented. Um, there are there are a number of novellas. I'm not writing them. I think Nathan's writing them. I think Stackpole's writing one or two. Uh, somebody else is writing one. Short novellas uh, that are part of the Kickstarter for the launch. Uh, but but, but I, I'm not writing one. But uh, there, there are some novellas attached to that. Well, so as someone who never pl played the first game, I notice at least on the face of it, there's some superficial similarity to, say, Fallout. Well, um, can, can you tell me uh, what might make it, uh, what, what differentiates it from like other post-apocalyptic type settings? Absolutely nothing. And I'll tell, you, <laughs> I'll tell you why. So when, when they made Wasteland, they wanted to make Wasteland, uh, they wanted to make Wasteland 2. But Interplay, through some uh, series of events, lost the rights to the name Wasteland. Mm. Um, I, I, I don't completely know how it happened. So they had to wait till like 93 or 94, 95. Uh, they, they finally decided they wouldn't get the game back. They wouldn't get the property back from whatever deal it was locked up in. So then they made Wasteland 2, but they called it Fallout. Fallout. Oh. So that's the logical continuation. Same people, Interplay, Fallout, Fallout 2. And that's why I was so excited to play Fallout uh, and Fallout 2. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas. Although I got to tell you, and I haven't had a chance to, to really ask uh, Avalon about this, and he was like the guy uh, um, New Vegas. Um, there was this disconnect. I had a terrible problem with Fallout New Vegas. Really? Did, did no, you play well, it? Or? Yeah, I, I did. I, I On that, so with Fallout 3, I played it through the end of the story and then did a bunch of other stuff besides. But Fallout New Vegas, what happened is I got so distracted doing the, the side quests and stuff that I hit the level cap bef way before having finished the main story. And then somehow when I would kill stuff and I wouldn't get that little tick of experience points, it just like all my passion drained out of it. So I didn't finish it. Wow, they were they were really controlling you with their 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 carrot and the stick, weren't they? Apparently, and so I I knew that if I got I could raise the level cap by buying some of the DLC, but then what that felt like was, but that DLC is designed to make up that difference with the new level cap. So if I play that, then I'm just going to hit the roof again, and and somehow that that is what drained it out of me. But what what did uh, what did your what was your well, you get to a point if you play through the entire game. Um, like I played through um, Fallout 3 at a dead clip, and I, I got nowhere near the level cap uh, by the time I ended it. But with uh, New Vegas, like you get to this point where you're um, you're offered this choice about who lives and who dies, and you got the different warring factions and whatnot, mm -hmm. and you, you basically wind up being the person in charge. And I didn't want to be the person in charge. You know what I mean? I didn't want to be like, I thought the whole structure was like a bad idea. Like I didn't want to decide. I didn't want to wind up being in charge of the entire world. I wanted sort of another path mm -hmm. through that world. And after after you took out the uh, the uh, Howard Hughes type guy. and then Mr. You, you House? Started, yeah, yeah, Mr. House. 
Yeah, well, I, I never finished that part of it. I, I, I yeah, never so you got take out Mr. House and then evidently, the, and I didn't play much past that because you've got a choice and you get to decide which factions live and die. And like, you know, I was like, you know, I just turned into the asshole I worked so hard to defeat. So I'm done. <laughs> Uh, but like it was, it was great, except for those golden geckos. Oh, <laughs> hated those bastards. The death claws, the death claws were pretty rough for a long time. But of yeah, course, by the time, too. by the time though that I uh, got to the level cap, uh, the level cap, I was doing okay. But seriously, invading this death claw uh, um, cave, like this home cave that had a king and a queen in it. Yeah. Without yeah. and see, there's a quest later that will send you there, but I had found it all on my own and had no idea what I was getting into, and I survived by the skin of my teeth, and it was awesome. So then when I got the quest, they were all dead already. So I just waltzed in and did my thing, and then well, <laughs> so, so th this is a thing that um, uh, Fargo and um, holy, I gotta look up this guy's name. Um, I can see his face. <gasps> um. Uh, okay, I, I, I gotta, I gotta look it up now so I can mention. AC McFacerton. This is the thing that they're great at. Um, uh, that they're great at uh, putting an area in the game. Like, I think this, this is an example of genius, where where it's just a little bit more than you're you're capable of doing, mm -hmm. but you're gonna you're gonna go for it anyway. Um, uh, you know, that, that you just try and run in there and get something or you get killed. Um, mm. and it's just that your reach extends your grasp a little bit. Yeah. You, you, you bump into that area where you just get your ass handed to you. And it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing uh, um, because you can, um, yeah. Uh, the, the RPG, uh, Nino Kuni recently had a, 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 a touch of that too. Now that's that's a very linear uh, RPG in the sense that you can't really affect the story in any way, but uh, it does have those areas where, oh yeah, you can just go ahead and walk on over there. Everything will kill you right away, but uh, you can. There's nothing that stops you other than that, and so uh, yeah. it, and it has those areas exactly. where you can you 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 just uh, you have to sail past this one beach over and over before you're finally tough enough to go there and you just look at it longingly it's like oh someday so close i can cross that someday i'll cross that bridge yeah it's, oh, um, it, it's great I mean, Matt, matthew findley that's the guy i was matthew. close yeah i know um <laughs> McFacerton? yeah <laughs> um, oh, findley. we have uh we have a question from the youtube comments uh lost in a crowd 77 Asked, uh, anyone remember Flashback and Another World on the Amiga? Flashback, I do. They just had a, I don't know if it was a remake or a updated version that was on uh, Xbox, XBLA. Um, might have been a re remake of it, but uh, I do remember that very old. I had an Amiga. Mega 500 or something ridiculous back yeah. in the day. I, so. I played Another World. I never played Flashback. But, um, Another World, I think, though, was one of those games that, at least for me, I played it a little bit, but I, it, it didn't quite click for me. I, I just, I, it was too hard, and I didn't quite figure it out, so I didn't really get very far. But it was beautiful for you know, uh, that, compared to the other games of its time. Is it a Japanese game? 
Uh, well, I, you know, I don't even really know. Probably. Um, it was, uh, um, it's kind of a side scroller, not really a platformer because you don't really jump that much, but you kind of you shoot aliens and it just had this really kind of cool cell shaded animation that was kind of ahead of its time. Cool. Cool. Uh, you were not on. Let's move over to uh, to television. You you were not on last week, Christiana, so you didn't get to tell us. We, we shared your love of Marvel <laughs> Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, the pilot. How did you feel uh, about, uh, about yesterday? I haven't seen a single episode. We won't spoil, we won't spoil I, it. I can take my headphones so. off. It's fine. If you, have, you have to take care of some business. Here. So I'll, I'll, I'll speak only in abstract then. Um, I really loved the first episode. I didn't love the second episode quite as much, but there's still a lot to like there. And there's a couple of things that... I am willing to see how they develop it because I can imagine possibilities that they develop some of these things in very good ways that I would be really excited to see, but they haven't developed that far yet. And so it's also possible that they might develop in dumb ways that I'd be annoyed by. And so right. I, you know, I'm optimistic because of the pedigree involved, but uh, I, I am interested to see how they will play out because I could see it going a way that I would like and also a way that I would not like. Um, and uh, my, my biggest quibble though with um, the second episode was the, the big action sequence near the end of the episode. The physics in it were just ridiculous and it kind of pissed me off a little bit. Yeah, my <laughs> My problem, this isn't much of a, a spoiler, is that, you know, they, they build the whole plot around the uh, group of misfits, you know, fighting against each other and not getting along, and they resolve it in one episode, which, you know, could have been something they could have, they could have had last a few episodes, and, you know... Aww. I'm sure there will be tension still because mm -hmm. of what's you know going on between characters and what have you. But it was just like, oh, we we we're bat we're just you know arguing and every five seconds, and then by the end they're all sitting and you know have a good old time. So I just thought it was a little uh, a little trite, but uh, um, you know the idea of Monster of the week, not monster of the week, but uh, thing to investigate during the week. I think that they, it has. Uh, I think it's uh, so far based on the varied things that they've at least shown, and then what they have shown for the next episode. I, I think it, it it definitely uh, can work. It's just a matter of uh, you know execution. You can tell the mo the money wasn't quite there for the second episode, mm -hmm. of course, than that they had for the pilot, but still it looked great. Mm -hmm. Well, so I, I, I exchanged a few comments with uh, Jared Axelrod earlier today, and, uh, and his thoughts echo some of what I was getting at earlier, which is that, you know, without saying that it's done anything wrong so far, um, it's worth asking the question of, is now the right time for a show where the heroes are government agents that keep things secret from people? <laughs> that's a fine question. That's a fine question. So, mm -hmm. so th there's um, 
Uh, Poor Luna. Moment, sorry. Poor She's Luna. Under my desk, whining because she so, so neglected. One moment, I'll be right back. Yeah, I have to say this. Uh, I'm sort of logically bound to say this about uh, shows with government agents, but uh, you know, it, it just seems like every sort of successful show on television now has to do with uh, people in some position of authority who are investigating something that they perceive to be a crime at all costs, and uh, they win. Like, authority always wins. And, like, if you look at television shows of the 70s, movies of the 70s, it wasn't always about authority winning. And I have a healthy trust, distrust of authority, so uh, I would like some more plots where it's not about authority. Like, oh, well, the only thing that's going to save people is if the people in authority come to the rescue. Yeah. It's it's look it's not it's not that that's a bad plot it's not that that's a bad thing to do what I'm just saying is it's not the only thing to do mm-hmm. beyond that I could get political but clearly it's not the only thing to do so why are all these stories have the same foundation well I have, have some faith uh, that there's going to be more to it than that again without getting into any specific spoilers of the show so far. If we just look at the Avengers movie, for example, you know, there was oh, this whole thing. Oh, it's very nuanced. Yeah, well, very yeah, because, you know, we have not only the idea of, well, what is S.H.I.E.L.D. really doing with all those old Hydra weapons and uh, and the, the shadowy council that's wanting to nuke New York City in order to contain the yeah, of course. invasion. And so there's definitely stuff in there that um, doesn't paint at least all of S.H.I.E.L.D. in in that positive a light. And then, um, again, I don't know all the details, but at least some of the stuff that's come out for the Captain America 2 movie indicates that there's increasing tension between Captain America and S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, the, the thing with Captain America is and he's always he's always been this way. And this I know for a fact that uh, the guys at Marvel view him this way. So I had a chance to talk to Avi Arad. Um, uh, What's the guy's name? Um, but uh, like Captain America is this great character because he comes from another time and he gets to be everybody's conscience. Like he gets to be the guy who stands up and I'm just uh, like, like he gets to say these lines that if anybody else said them, they would be stupid. There's only one God, ma'am, and I don't think he dresses like that. You know, he, he gets to like just I, – for, I forgot what the line were. Uh, he, he, I, I can't remember the Avengers, but he consistently expresses faith in people, mm-hmm. and it makes them better. Like he's that heroic character, so th- that character always has to clash with all the nonsense, yeah. all the secrecy. Yeah, it's, so yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Well, and even in comics, you're right; it's the same way in comics. Like when uh, Marvel did the Civil War event. Of course, um, absolutely. A few years ago, Captain America was the one who took the position that the government has no business ordering all superheroes to reveal their secret identities. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like it's like today, and this this is the we we live in very strange times. But uh, there's a bunch of World War II vets trying to go to the World War II memorial, and the few people that are still working for the government are trying to keep them out. That mm-hmm. can't possibly be right. Like like. He, like so, so what Captain America does is he's the character who can say, "Hey, this is 
this is way past our moral compass. Mm -hmm. And like, this is absolutely wrong. And then people listen to him. Or he can also say, and this is tremendous, he can say, hey, you're better than this. Just be better. And, and character like multiple times in comics and movies. Yeah, it's, he's, he's great. Yeah, that was one of my. Go ahead. I was just no. going to say that one of my biggest complaints with the um, the Man of Steel movie, although I liked a lot of aspects of it, was that Superman is also supposed to be a character that does, that can do that, but he didn't feel very much like that in this movie. Maybe it's yeah. partly just because he's newer and they're yeah. hoping to develop him more, but you know. There is a little bit of lip service to it, but then there's also not taking several options to, I, I don't know, to, I didn't, he didn't feel like the guy who always finds a way to do a, do the right thing. He felt like. Well, you've got, you've, you've got some very, you've got some real difficulties with Superman because um, everybody knows he's the guy who can do anything. Like mm -hmm. Superman never loses. So how do you create obstacles for him? So, mm -hmm. you know, the, that Superman movie, uh, the first Superman movie with Christopher Reeves, they, they did something that, uh, okay, no matter how powerful you are, you can't be in two places at once. Mm -hmm. like, I mean, like that's a good one. Um, so, so dramatically, you know, you've got problems. The, the, the question that I had in, in how to succeed in evil and, it's it's a big rolling mess of a novel. I mean, it's kind of three, you know, books in one in, in many ways. But the the, the part that I, I think I did well is um, I have this Superman analog, and I asked the question: Why would someone feel, no matter how powerful they are, that they have to save all the world all the time? Like, what is it that drives somebody? I mean, like, think about Superman. He's always there. He's always saving the day. And when he doesn't save the day, it feels like Superman doesn't get to take a day off. So that's kind of an interesting angle. Like, why would someone be like that? And my answer, of course, of course was they were tremendously guilty for something they did very, very wrong in their past. <laughs> um, but, it, like, it's, it's, it's just tough to take that character and create a dramatic arc because how do you mm -hmm. give him? Obstacles. And well, one day, the well, one day you take off, something bad will happen. Well, yeah, you know, uh, Rich Siegfried and I actually did a skit when back when we were doing uh, Requiem of the Outcast. We did a one of our slightly more dramatic skits that was basically uh, he probably wasn't as powerful as Superman, but he was a powered superhero. But it was actually him in therapy trying to come to grips with the fact that he has to be able to have a job so that he can afford to have like an apartment and clothes and food. Yeah. But how can he reconcile working on cars or sitting behind a desk when he knows that people are in danger and he could save them? Yeah. And these... so the therapist is trying to help him deal with that. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's really kind of the question underpin the thinking of how to succeed in evil, which is if you're, if you're really, really well, so if you're Tony Stark or if you're Bill Gates and you really want to help the world, what you do is you give a whole bunch of malaria to find a whole bunch of money to find a cure for malaria. You do not get in a suit and go risk your life. Mm -hmm. Like that's a waste of time. Like if you, if, if you really are gifted with a lot of stuff, you ask, you start asking yourself, 
what's the best I can do? Like catching the mugger on the streets of New York City is mm-hmm. kind of useless. Well, yeah. So <laughs> there's there's um, well, there's a uh, there's a strip of uh, Saturday Morning Breakfast cereal, which is a web comic uh, that had a great joke on that level, which is they basically go to Superman and they said, "Well, we decided there's a more efficient way for you to help all of humanity. We want you to just turn this crank." Turn it as fast as you can, and it'll generate free energy for all of humanity. Yes, I've seen that. That's wonderful. And just just keep doing that forever. Uh, <laughs> in uh, in the sequel to Batman: The Dark Knight Returns, uh, Frank Miller had uh, had the government trap the Flash in a giant dynamo, and he was running to generate power, and he was a slave. I always thought that was <laughs> like like the whole thing wasn't great, but I thought that was a nice, interesting moment. But yeah, I mean, like, you really, if you if you poke at these things too much, or you start asking, what's the logical conclusion of this? At least in very interesting places. Um, speaking of web comics, do you, have you ever read uh, Strong Female Protagonist? No, but I'm writing that down now. Oh, it's it's amazing. You, you won't regret it. Do uh, do pick it up from the beginning, not not starting it just from its current point. Um, but basically what it's about is a teenage girl who is basically, she's invulnerable and super strong and she doesn't fly exactly, but she can, you know, jump as far fast, you know, so it's, you know, so she's not exactly Superman, but she is invulnerable and super strong. But she has becomes basically disillusioned with the idea of trying to make the world a better place by beating up robots where there's tons of collateral damage. You know, or yeah. you know, or supervillains or whatever, and uh, and so basically the story picks up as she's trying to just go to college, um, so that she can try to learn how to become a productive member of society, and uh, but uh, she is hampered a little bit by the fact that when she had kind of a public meltdown when she quit her superhero team and revealed her identity on national television, so everybody knows who she is, and so. There's some difficulty there, but uh, it's it's really great, and it has a lot of nuance to it, and it does just really examine the ideas of what really is the best way for her to make a difference in the world. Is it really just by, you know, beating up bad guys, which really seems to only, you know... Lead to more bad guys? Yeah. And lead to collateral damage? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. J.R. Murdoch, uh said, uh, talking about what you were just saying, that that was also answered in Megamind as well. Why do I keep saving the world when it just gets itself back into trouble again? Yeah. And any it's reference like the to, beginning of Incredibles, too. <laughs> yeah, any reference to Megamind is is, uh, is good in my book. It was a good movie. It's a good movie. Underrated. Um, yeah. I think J.R. Murdoch gets the MVP of questions for the show. <laughs> yes, he does. Um, we did also. That's what happens um, when we have you. We did have another question from uh, Lost in a Crowd asking uh, if anyone has read Pillars of the Earth by Ken Follett. Um, although that was from earlier, so I don't. I actually don't know the book, so I, I don't know if that's superhero related at all. But uh, it was. was tremendous, a tremendous book about the building of cathedrals. Yes. I oh. Okay. Um, it. Uh, uh, I, I don't know how he managed to do it, but he made uh, a thriller around the building of cathedrals. 
Um, I, I feel like there, uh, in the construction of that novel, there are a lot of dirty tricks to keep you reading and a lot of, um, uh, I don't know, sort of sneaky plot twist kind of things to keep you hooked. But, uh, yeah, it's totally worth reading. It like, it, it, and, and I love, I love the medieval period in history, which probably might be a segue to the thing that I'm, you know, <laughs> kind of working on. But, but, uh, yeah, it, it, like he made a thriller out of building cathedrals. I don't know any other way to say it. It's, it's pretty great. Nice. Well, let's jump on that segue then. Uh, let's talk <laughs> about the book you just finished. What's it about? Okay, well, I'm in the final stages of editing it, so it should be out uh, later this month. I just recorded uh, three chapters of it today to make it available as a podcast. And theoretically, I have my act together enough that it will be available as a on patio books, on Audible, um, on Amazon as an ebook, and as a physical book at the end of the month. Theoretically. <laughs> um, so uh, the title is The Merchant Adventurer. And the idea is it's, um, well, it, re it really started while I was working on Wasteland. I was thinking a lot about role-playing games, and I was thinking about fantasy tropes, and I was writing a lot of dialogue and writing a lot of characters, giving a lot of thought to, okay, how do we make the guy in this village who runs the store more than, like, just a mechanic? Like, how would he really react to things? If we have deep reaction to the the party composition, whether they're men or women, what people are wearing, what they've done, you know, how do we really make this thing a universe? Because the idea with Wasteland 2 was not going to spend the money on really fancy cutscenes. You're going to spend the money on writing story and deep interactivity. Um, so I started thinking back and, and I was kind of shocked um, to find that I really have a deep knowledge of RPGs, um, computer RPGs. Because uh, um, I, uh, you know, I played a lot of them, starting with Wizardry, really, was, was, was the first one. Um, and in Wizardry, there's this merchant, and his name is Boltak. And he, from the game, you don't know anything about him. Uh, but he's, he's a perfect merchant. So to identify and make an item useful that you pull out of the dungeon, he charges you what the item is worth. And if you sell him an item... He, you know, he like charges, you know, twice back, you know, or whatever it's worth to get back. So you can't arbitrage, you can't loot the dungeon, you can't get ahead. The game is mercilessly hard. So the question I asked myself is, what does this story look like from the merchant's perspective? Because we got plenty of hero stories. But, you know, you got this guy and he's, he's selling these weapons and all these people are, they're going after this like evil wizard and they want to stop this guy and whatever. But the reality is that most of them just get killed. So what the world looks like to him is heroes are pretty much idiots. And he's making a buck off of them and he's trying to get through the day. So my question was, what, it, what kind of situation would make this merchant have to try and go and be a hero? Um, and, you know, how would he solve this? Like, he's not, he's not a fighter. How does he try and solve this problem? And it turns out to be uh, pretty, yeah, pretty funny and, and pretty interesting satire. And there's a couple of tropes that I like that uh, I'm probably going to leave alone for a while after this because they're <laughs> also in How to Succeed in Evil, which is basically, um, you know, people who are just trying to, uh, you know, there are people in power and then, then there are people who are 
just basically trying to get through the day and make a living. And most of the good of the world is done by the people who come to fix your pipes and replace your window and the person who fixes your car. Like they do real good for people. Any gigantic cause or, you know, whatever, uh, you got to be skeptical because somebody, somebody somewhere is trying to work that for their advantage. Um, so it really is kind of a, kind of a, um, kind of a satirical look at a lot of the tropes of fantasy. But for the first time, I really built a very human story into it, so I'm very excited about it. Did, did you show the cover or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did for a few seconds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very good. We're looking forward to that. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's always a pleasure to hear your voice on a podcast and uh, oh, read your own story. So, uh, <laughs> how many? Uh, do you have any characters in this that have uh, distinct voices that? Uh, Oh, no, Boltec. People, Boltec people will tremendous. remember. Boltec is tremendous. Boltec is, um, I, re I really like the, the voices. Um, so they're, they're basically English accents, a regular accent, and an accent from the Northeast. So uh, yeah, Now, I remember you told me about this about a year ago when you were talking about, I got this guy who who's from Brooklyn that's a merchant or something. You're like, yeah, yeah, it's like that. Idea. So basically, the sec I'll, I'll give you a little bit of the second chapter. So the, the first chapter, and it's not really a spoiler alert, but you've got this thief, and he's guiding this sort of traditional party into a dungeon. And you think that the thief is, you know, they're all part of the party. But what he basically does is he, he leads them into a trap. They all get killed, and he basically goes through their pockets for loose change. And this is his deal. They're all these, like, adventurers who are no good. And he just kills them, and he goes – and pawns all their stuff. So the second chapter is he's trying to pawn their stuff to this guy who runs the store that sells equipment. And he throws this uh, necklace uh, out on the table, and the, the merchant picks it up, and he goes, hey, you missed this spot, because there's a little bit of blood left on it. And, uh, <laughs> and he goes, the, the guy who stole it says, what do you mean I missed this spot? And, and Boltec says, blood. There's some blood left on this necklace. And the thief shrugs and he goes, well, well, it's probably mine. I mean, I, I try to use stealth, but the orc I took it from put up quite a fight. And Boltec says, aha. <laughs> Not that I want to know, but what is an orc? And the thief goes, a fearsome new creature wreaking havoc on the good people of Rograth. Aha, said Boltec, not buying it. And you uh, count yourself among these good people? Of course, I'm no mighty hero, but like some, but I do the small part that I can. Okay, I'm going to make you an offer on your necklace here, but uh, the setting is crap. The stone is very nice, but before I do, not for nothing. Uh, Ox, you shit me, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you've got this naturally... Skeptical character. Well, here you go. Yeah. So, so the thief goes, "Oh no, stout merchant! I assure you, orcs are very real." Boltec says, "Really? Kobolds? I heard of. Trolls? I heard of. Dragons? Sure, but orcs? Come on! What does an orc look like?" So you've got this like naturally skeptical character popping into all these tropes and trying to find his way through it, and it's 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 pretty fun. And I swear, I swear. I swear after this, I'm going to write a straight-ahead story, and it's not like satire, and I'm like riffing on something <laughs> too much. But, but this was a lot of fun.
Very cool. Awesome. Well, uh, Christiana, did you have anything else that you wanted to talk about this week? Watching anything? Uh, doing anything? Uh, I mean, biggest things for me this week, you know, we, we kind of covered uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. a little bit already. Um, end of Breaking Bad, um, I'm, I was very thrilled with. Um, and then Grand Theft Auto V, I've been playing a ton of. <laughs> yeah, I've only played a few hours, but uh, enjoying it. Um, Good luck McLean, not, not playing a few more. <laughs> yeah. It's tough. It's um it's it's an incredibly well made game. Uh, it, I I love the story and just uh, I think what thrills me about it beyond just having a good story, which I appreciate, is uh, the 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 world that it creates and how seamless it is in terms of being able to drive all over the place, go up a mountain, drive through a little beachside resort, go out into the desert, then in, down into downtown, and then take off in a helicopter and fly over all of it, and none of it with a loading screen. Somehow it just kind of um, trips over in my brain to the part that helps me navigate about, around real places rather than sort of remembering, oh, yeah, this is a video game. Someone programmed all this. You know, you know what's, what's shocking about that game? I lived in Los Angeles. It feels like Los Angeles. Like they, they, they got it right. Like it's smaller, it's more compressed, mm. but it feels, I was, I was driving along, uh, they, they call it Vespucci canals, but it's Venice. Mm. I was either driving or walking along on that boardwalk there. And then all of a sudden I had this flashback to this really weird date. I was on this one time <laughs> there at that exact time. And I am like, this is great. Cause I had some weird experiences in Los Angeles. Cause that's why Los Angeles is there. But yeah, they, they did a tremendous job of that. And I have to say that uh, Trevor, the sort of insane um, male pattern balding character, <laughs> um, he's awesome. He's, a, he's an evil Canadian. And that's never that's never existed before. Like, And don't, don't ever bring up that he's Canadian. Bad things happen. But, or, like, yeah, don't make fun of his accent. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. So, uh, like, we don't even say it like that. No, he's <laughs> like, he, he's, a, he's a great character. He's like Hunter S. Thompson with no sensitivity. Like, it's just, <laughs> he's just great. Yeah, I like, and, and, and the, the writing in those games is so good. Again, like, it's, it's one of the best movies this year. Has to be. It was, oh, it's, it's yeah, pretty one great. of those movies. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of movies, we talked about it last week, but, uh, uh, Gravity, uh, saw it a couple weeks ago now, um, comes out Friday. Oh, Go see so it. excited. It is awesome. Uh, so, uh, do that. Um, uh, program announcement for, for our new podcast, the Tintin Forever. Um, if I can get the video editing, editing done in time, uh, it will be released tomorrow. It's about an hour. Uh, Valerie and I talking about the, um, you know, what the podcast is about and a little bit about Hergé and about uh, Tintin, the, the history of the comic. Uh, and uh, look forward to everybody seeing that. Um, what else is going on? Again, I'll be right back. I have something for you. Hold on. Ooh. Oh, ooh, something special. See, it, it's a good thing you rearranged the books because otherwise people 
uh, might Google it wrong, they would think it was all about Tnitin. Yeah, Tnitin. Nit nit. I will see your tin tin and raise you a lone wolf and cub. A lone wolf and cub. Very good. Wow. Yeah. I, 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 at one point, I had most of these, and uh, they had these these giant omnibuses from uh, uh, Dark Horse, and this is mm -hmm. like tremendous. Like I'm so old now, I kind of need reading glasses, but. Mm -hmm. They're awesome. My God, they're awesome. See, I yeah, read all my I comics had, uh, digitally now. Uh, yeah. Actually, I just, yeah, I just, read... Uh, I'm going to put it back. I read a behind, lot of those. Behind my but, head, so I'm cool like uh, PG. Cause I got <laughs> you can't be cool like me, but... Um, See, I should, I should put up my, uh, oh. my Venture Brothers uh, DVD set behind me. Oh. Uh, something Ventured, Nothing Gained podcast. Let, let me tell you. The Venture Brothers. Everyone must must watch the Venture Brothers. Well, so in case you didn't know, I'm also doing a Venture Brothers rewatch podcast with uh, me and Jared Axelrod and Richard Green and Justin Deal. We wow. uh, just finished season one, so our next episode will be for the first episode of season two. And I have watched uh, all those seasons multiple times. Well, We're you so should check sick. it out. They're so good. <laughs> At my website, ChristianaEllis.com, the podcast is Something Ventured, Nothing Gained. Oh, my goodness. The, um, <laughs> my, the, uh, my favorite, I think my favorite part in all the Venture Brothers, it's either Shore Leave, like Shore Leave has some moments that are just magnificent, but that part where uh, uh, 21 goes to his closet and they do the da 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 Oh my god. That <laughs> That's in that, like it's, I can't remember if it's the first episode of season two or the second, but it's coming up really soon oh. in terms of which episode we're doing the podcast for. <laughs> I laughed so hard I I think I cracked a rib. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Hello. Daddy's home. <laughs> oh man. Yes. Best cartoon ever. Best cartoon I'm, ever. <laughs> I'm starting it, so. Uh, actually, I'm actually, I'm Mr. Up, so Mr. Gentleman also is just uh, tremendous. Mr. Gentleman. <laughs> uh, episode are you talking about? No, well, uh, actually, my my favorite episode, and and like the last season, I think they got away from the. the they try to have too many reasons for everything they did. They try to be too architectural. But the the in the hall of the mummy, you know. Oh yeah, well, it's it's I, I think it's actually Return to the two. House of Mummies Part Two. Yeah 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 yeah. That's and what the whole episode, <laughs> and the whole episode is set up like it's the second half of a two-parter that they never made the first. But time. they never explain it. And mm -hmm. uh, Ben Edelund, the guy who wrote The Tick, wrote that, and he wrote mm -hmm. Supernatural. And it was just this series of set piece, like cut scenes that were just mm -hmm. like they put all the funny stuff in that didn't have to make sense. Because like you kind of know all the tropes they're going to be playing mm -hmm. off anyway. That episode is magnificent. It's the only episode to date where they've done any actual time travel. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then the part where brought okay, Brock Samson. <laughs> When I revert to adolescence, I want to be Brock Samson again. Uh, so, uh, 
he has a line in there, and he says, oh, I've always wanted to choke Edgar Allan Poe. Look at the size of that melon. <laughs> it's like a pumpkin. Yes, yeah, it. Yeah, it's just. Oh, man. I could talk about that show for another hour and a half. We'll have you on. Uh, we'll have you on as a guest on one of our uh, episodes sometime. <laughs> that would be great. I love that show. Seriously, I've watched every episode like three times. Sweet. <laughs> well, now I now I know I have to I have to watch it now. Everybody has to. It's it's imperative. Yeah, I made the mistake of, as I said one time, of starting to watch it with my kids and. No, yeah, no, no. <laughs> I didn't know how deranged it was, and then I was like, oh, <laughs> I have to stop this now. With, so, with. so since you don't have a PlayStation, you have not played The Last of Us, have you, uh, Patrick? No, no, I haven't, and I haven't played The Journey either. Oh, Journey is uh, great too. I may have yeah, to just. I may, I may just have to bring you my PlayStation. I could come over. Those games. <laughs> we're, we're frightening. Even you know, the the small kid is becoming yeah, easier to manage. I could, uh, yeah, we could. I can be in the same place. You're this close. You're this close. <laughs> yeah. The hammer. Yeah. <laughs> oh but, yes. No, you'll have to come come over and uh, but you'll probably have to take the PS3. Have you have you played? You have, have you played the journey? I played the journey. And the journey you could do, and you we could you could do you can come over and play that whole thing because it's only like an hour. Yeah, yeah, that, hour that and was, a half. So it's it's yeah. short, but um, it's beautiful. I played a little yeah. bit of the demo, yes. and I was like, this this game is unlike any other game I've played. So yes, but I'm getting the PS4, so you can borrow the uh, PS3. Lost in the, the crowd us, says. So. Uh, Lost in the crowd in the YouTube comments says GTA. Hey, you surprised me, Christiana. Mass Effect all the way. It's like, well, yes, but I already played Mass Effect. I didn't, That's I didn't true. skip Mass Effect in order to play GTA. <laughs> I'll tell you, I played the first Mass Effect, and I was playing it with a bunch of people, and it's so big. Like, it's a great game. I'm not saying it's not a great game. It was so big. Uh, I had this moment where I was running around in this giant mall-like building, and I couldn't. Out. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't figure out, couldn't figure out where I was supposed to go to next, and I was like. I just said, I'm lost, and I feel like everything's pointless. <laughs> this is like my life. I don't need a game to give me this feeling. But that one's in space. Yeah, but seriously. That you were lost like the, in space. That like the little pig creatures that were bankers. I was like, really? Really? You got a piggy bank? But yes, we'll have to do that very soon. Um and for those, yeah, we've been talking a lot of video games. We did a uh, special episode on Sunday with Justin McCumber where we talked about the, we came up with our list of top ten video games of this generation. So uh, it's the uh, definitive go over list. The what was number yeah. one? What was number one? Before I don't want to spoil it. I want him to go watch, <laughs> want him go watch it. Oh, I was man. just trying to remember what did end up as number one. I couldn't remember because uh, was number seven? A complicated voting be, method. What was number that seven? That would be another another Bioware game that you loved. It was your number one, Christian. Oh, okay. Should I should I say or we we don't say want to spoil it? It was Dragon, Dragon Age Origins. I I you know I never played Dragon Age. Oh, I I loved it. Was it on it the was, list. I'm sure. Yeah. 
um, um it had you know even um more so the first one than the second one you know it didn't have the level of interactivity that you know you were talking about with you know uh some of the others before but in terms of um non-mechanic based decisions like just you know options within the dialogue trees that allow the story to actually go in different directions there's a lot of variation in there and uh um that story was more meaningful to me than like any other game story i've ever played wow yeah um there are lots of good stories but that one just really worked for me so <laughs> And everyone else too. That's how it ended up number one because it wasn't just my decision. So, oh, so, so it did win. And Morgan, and Morgan was hot and crazy. So, <laughs> oh yes, hot and crazy, hot and crazy. Uh, but uh, I think that's about all we have time for this evening. So thanks everybody for for tuning in. Thank you, Mr. McLean. Good luck with your novel. We will be promoting that in future shows, I am sure. So. Uh, you're doing a full audio version for Podio I'm Books? I'm doing a full audio version, yes. Very cool. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't know why I got away from doing that, but everything from now on, it's actually just such a great editing pass as well, so everything now on will be full audio, full frontal audio. <laughs> because, you're, <laughs> because you're keeping it tight and word count good, you can do, the, do those audio versions and crank them out so yeah a hundred thousand words so. yeah you know it's not a hundred or a hundred and twenty thousand words it's it's a little easier yeah so that's what i hear <laughs> <laughs> all right well thanks for having me guys i really appreciate it it's good to talk to both Absolutely. of you and yeah, it's great to talk to you, too. With you it's been a while yeah it's been Shush too long we're mm -hmm. and viv we're both very sorry they they could not be here because they I they miss you so I had a small human, so like that is just that's the last, the last two years just disappeared in a blink. So um, yeah. I'm coming out the of the small ones now. are more work, aren't they? Yes, they are. <laughs> yes, they are. A little bit they're, of work. They're willful too. <laughs> <laughs> they don't come out just being your slave. That's for sure. <laughs> yes, that is for sure. <laughs> they're not even remote leaders. They don't even care. They're like you. You have needs. Don't care. Wow. <laughs> wow. Exactly. Right. Oh yeah. Well, you go and get your own stuff. I, I'm reliant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. Well, thanks everybody for joining in, and we will see you next time. Guest to be announced soon. Uh, but uh, join us next Wednesday for uh, SpecFicMedia.com presents Consumption. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to specficmedia.com presents Consumption. If you'd like to send feedback, questions, comments, suggestions, complaints, you can email us at consumption at specficmedia.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 704-981-1SFM. That's 704-981-1736. If you'd rather leave comments on our website, you can find posts for each show at specficmedia.com. This podcast is released under Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share-alike, 3.0, unported license. Feel free to share and remix. Just give us credit and don't charge money for it. 